Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, you're listening to Talking France, a podcast by the local for anyone interested in France and in particular this Sunday's presidential election. I'm your host, Ben McPartland. Yes, we're in the final straight. France will choose its next president on Sunday and the choice for voters is simple. Re-elect the incumbent centrist Emmanuel Macron or opt for his long-standing rival on the far right, Marine Le Pen. The two candidates have been campaigning hard since the first round vote earlier this month and on Wednesday they came face to face in a TV studio for the eagerly awaited live debate. Some 15.6 million French voters tuned in to watch the almost three-hour clash to see if either candidate could land any knockout blows on their opponent just days before the crucial vote. I'll be speaking to political columnist John Litchfield to get his take on the clash, to see whether there was a clear winner and loser and if the live tete-a-tete will have any impact on Sunday's voting. Later in the podcast, John will also give his firm prediction for Sunday and explain why France is more divided than ever. Along with the local France's editor, Emma Pearson, we'll also be looking ahead to Sunday and beyond to look at what will happen next, depending on who wins. We'll remind listeners of some of Macron and Le Pen's key policies and also discuss why Sunday's vote is not the end, because believe it or not, France has yet more crucial elections on the horizon. And if you want to know why we discuss the possibility of Macron living in the same house as Jean-Luc Mélenchon, then stay with us until the end. Off we go. Emma, thanks for joining us again. Everything okay with you? You've been following the politics, I hope? No, I've lost interest in it, to be honest. Emma, that's not good news. It's getting to the real crucial moment. Now, look, we're going to talk about last night's debate shortly. Uh, We're going to bring John Litchfield in for that, our political columnist. But look, let's bring people up to date with what's happened since the first round, which feels like a long time ago now. Emma, before that first round, it felt like the momentum was with Marine Le Pen. She was rising through the polls. Their polls for the second round gave her a 49% to 51% she was going to lose, but it was ever so tight. Is that still the case? Bring us up to date. No, the um, the momentum has changed. As you said, the, the me- momentum was in favour of Le Pen in the run-up to the first round. That shifted and it's now really in Macron's favour. He's gradually widening this gap between them. The polls are now saying that he's got a, a lead of between 8 and 12 points, depending which ones you look at, obviously. But the average is looking at about 56% for Macron and 44% for Le Pen. So definitely widening that gap. Still pretty close, though, and could still be affected by things like a low turnout or a high abstention rate. Emma, you mentioned the shift in the polls, the fact that Macron has managed to extend this slight gap over Marine Le Pen, which is now between 8 and 12 points. Why has the momentum changed? Is there anything to explain it? There's a couple of things, really. Macron is properly campaigning now. As we've said before, he got quite a lot of flack for running a fairly lacklustre campaign. That has changed. He's uh, he's definitely on the campaign trail now. He's been doing loads of events. He's been doing big rallies. He's been doing meet and greets. He's been meeting voters. And he's really gone into sort of Le Pen heartlands to try and sell himself, sell his message. His personal photographer has been putting sexy, hairy chest shots on Instagram. I'm not sure if that's going to sway anyone, but, you know. When you say sexy, hairy chest shots of on Instagram of Macron? Of Macron, yeah. Yes. Why? <laughs> this is an excellent question. 
Is this meant to persuade people to vote for him? Well, really, who knows? Um, it's a series of candid shots of him doing a big rally in Marseille, right. uh, which, to be fair, it's in the south, it's very hot. Uh, and this is a shot after the rally. He sort of slumped on the sofa with his uh, shirt unbuttoned to the waist. Like I say, I don't know if he's actually going to sway any voters, but it certainly inspired a lot of memes. And Macron was also quite mercilessly teased about it when he was on a yeah, the TV panel show called C'est Vu. He was laughed at a lot and did manage to laugh at himself, to be fair. So that might have done him some good. Fair enough. Now, quite a few famous people, celebrities, sports stars, politicians, Nicolas Sarkozy, for example, have come out in support of Macron over the last 10 days. Perhaps, we, you know, predictable given that who he's up against in Le Pen. But that has also been kind of one of the key themes in the last 10 days, people coming out in support of Macron. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we sort of said this before, that when you're looking at a second round before the first round, it's a hypothetical question, really, whereas now it's real and there's a genuine and very real possibility that France would have a far-right president. And I think that's focused quite a lot of people's thinking. Um, and we've had, as you said, sports stars, about 50 French sports stars signed an open letter saying, we can't have her as the president. We're hosting the Olympics in 2024. We cannot have a far-right president president welcoming people to work to our country. We've had celebrities, people from the arts, all sort of backing it, backing Macron, saying the yeah, same thing. It's not been entirely one way, though. Uh, Le Pen has secured the support of the 2012 Miss France winner. Oh, could that be crucial? No. Right. I saw one poll this week that said 43% of voters in the second round will vote for the candidate to keep the other candidate out. In other words, they're going to vote for Le Pen to keep Macron out or vote for Macron to keep Le Pen out, which kind of makes me think of Jean-Luc Mélenchon's voters. Now, Jean-Luc Mélenchon got over 20% in the first round. He almost, he wasn't too far off. What's the latest on who his voters are going to vote for or are they going to vote? Well, yeah, as, as you say, there's a block of this 20% of people who voted for him. So, I mean, they really could decide the election if they all voted together as a block. But that's quite a big question as to whether they will. Mélenchon himself, uh, he's still sticking to his same position as he was straight after the vote, which is he's saying that not a single one of his supporters should vote for Le Pen, but he's not calling on people who vote for Macron either. So, sort of among the polls of Mélenchon supporters, a lot of them are just saying they're going to either abstain or file a, a vote blanc, a, yeah a blank vote. Probably most are, are going to vote for Macron, but there's still a, a sizable chunk there who say they will vote for Le Pen, which is quite some mental gymnastics, really, to say that you're on the left and you're therefore going to vote for somebody on the far right, but this is French politics. Indeed, yes. And if we talk about Mélenchon, he did a huge interview on BFM First once since the results of the first round. He's called on French voters to elect him as Prime Minister. What does he mean by that? Well, it's a bit of a weird one, really, because the Prime Minister in France is not actually directly elected. You're appointed by the Prime president. Basically, what he was saying was that people should vote to make his party the largest party when we come to the parliamentary elections in June. And if the parliament is dominated by his party, then whoever is the president, Macron or Le Pen, will be kind of forced to appoint him as the prime minister. That's kind of what he's saying. He's basically calling on voters to turn out for his party, Les Insoumises, uh, or, or, and the parties within his bloc that he'll presumably form for the June elections to leave Macron, if it's Macron or Le Pen, no choice but to appoint him Prime Minister. That's what he wants. Basically, yes. Now, finally, before we go to the debate, has there been any protests in the last 10 days? There was a lot of predictions about unrest... What's happened? There's been quite a few protests, yeah, although they've all been pretty calm so far. There's a lot of uh, students have been occupying schools and universities and there's been protests here in Paris. Some of the protests have been just anti-far right, but actually the largest protests that we've seen have been from people who just don't like either of them. People who say neither Macron nor Le Pen, that uh, the system is broken to have produced these two candidates that everybody hates. So... 
this probably won't affect the actual second round too much because those people will probably abstain anyway but it is going to make life quite hard for whoever wins really because you've got this big block of people who just hate both of them so that's going to be tricky in the five years to come indeed thank you emma Just a reminder to our listeners, this podcast is only possible thanks to those who've supported us by becoming members of The Local. It takes time and resources to produce our independent journalism. If you're not yet a member but would like to join, you can find a practically irresistible price for your first month by visiting thelocal.fr slash podcast offer. The key event, or at least the most eagerly awaited in the two weeks between the first and second round voting, is of course the live debate between the two presidential candidates. This took place on Wednesday evening in a studio to the north of Paris, where Le Pen and Macron sat opposite each other on separate tables and every detail, including the room temperature, had to be agreed in advance. Some 15.6 million viewers tuned in to see whether Marine Le Pen could improve on her disastrous performance in the 2017 debate and land any knock out punches on Macron or whether the president would be able to keep his rival in the corner and hammer home his advantage in the polls. The pair argued over food prices, Putin, wind turbines, the Muslim headscarf and much, much more in a debate that lasted almost three hours. I spoke to John Litchfield to get his verdict on the battle. John, was there any clear winner or loser? Well, funnily enough, when I was watching it, I thought it was fairly even and she certainly did much, much better than she did five years ago. I think Macron made obviously a strategic decision to go for her and to be aggressive to the point of being annoying at times. You know, um, even I, a sort of anti-Macron person particularly, uh, was annoyed by some of his interruptions, which seemed to me excessive. But I think he achieved his aim, which is to knock her off balance and make it impossible for it, the whole thing to be a sort of prosecution of him. And it turned into a prosecution of her. And so the, the instant opinion poll by a lab this morning is suggesting that viewers thought he won by 59 to 39, which seems to me a rather bigger margin than I, I would have given it. I would have said he'd edged it on points, but there was certainly no knockout blow. And in a sense, he didn't need a knockout blow. You know, she was the one who needed a knockout blow. She needed something to turn this around because the overall polls are now showing a 12 or 13 point lead for him. And she certainly didn't do that last night. So I think, you know, it's difficult to see how the election goes anywhere, but to a Macron victory on Sunday. Yeah, just quickly a word about Le Pen. She still seems to struggle with some of the kind of technical aspects of economic policies. And like you say, she is behind in the polls and she, she we expected her to be more aggressive, really attacking Macron's record, especially on cost of living, which is kind of her home territory. But she really did kind of underwhelm in a way. On that point, she absolutely did. I agree. That was the first subject that came up. And she was unable, really, to explain her policy. He, he picked it apart very well. I mean, you know, she wants to reduce uh, VAT to, to 5% or 5.5%, I think, on fuel or 0% on some basic foods. And he, he pointed out that that would most likely just mean that the prices would stay the same and the profits would go into the pockets of shops and, and petrol companies. That that was half as effective way of doing things as his policy of giving uh, shields on inflation, like the 4% limit on electricity prices and sending a check to poorer taxpayers. And she said, well, it's the taxpayers are paying for their own checks. And he said, yeah, well, who's paying for your VAT reductions? That has to come from somewhere else. And she, she floundered on those things. And frankly, she flounders on those things because her policies are incoherent on those things. And the same on the EU, where she, she he, he picked her apart as well. So 
She did much better on some other things, though. I thought education on um, security obviously is a big issue for her. On healthcare, I think she did she did better. She she was I suppose it's an expectations thing. You know, she was so bad last time when she couldn't even begin to explain or even remember her own policies. That this time she was she was much more calm and she was better briefed and therefore she came over better. And uh, you know, I think Macron did take a risk in in going for the for her in that way because. I think in the debate, people do get annoyed if, if one of the competitors uh, constantly interrupts the other. And he did so all the time, you know, to the point of being actually rude, I thought, at times, even though, you know, some of the things he said were quite true. And, of course, his big, big zinger early on was, was to get her on, on the Moscow connection and say that she was essentially a, under the control of Moscow because she, she had this big loan from 2015 still outstanding. And that, you know, when she was talking to Putin, she was talking to her banker, which was a line, obviously, that been developed by Macron and his people to to stick in early on and did so. And I think one of the things that threw her off balance pretty early. Yes. John, a word about Macron. Apparently there was reports before the debate that he he lost his rag with his advisors who kept telling him not to come across as arrogant. Yet, you know, on Twitter last night, Marine Le Pen's team have, have been accusing him of arrogance. Some of his kind of physical poses kind of gave that impression of being condescending. Was that your take too? He's never really going to lose this tag of, of, of arrogance, is he? Well, he's been trying to, and, and then last night he didn't. He is a bit sort of in and out on that because he's been saying he wants to be the kind of gentler Macron, and then, you know, he, he makes statements like he did about sort of wanting to piss off, if I can say that, uh, people who wouldn't get vaccinated. And last last night, I, th- I thought, yeah, I think he, he obviously assumed I'm gonna, people are going to call me arrogant anyway, so I'm going to go for her and I, I'm going to take this approach. I think overall it worked for him, but I think people who hate Macron will hate him even more. People who like Macron would be delighted. I'm not sure he'll have changed many votes in his direction, but he didn't need to. Yes, and that brings us to just my last question on last night's debate, John. Will it matter in terms of Sunday's voting? Will it have an impact? I, yeah, I mean, it's already been drifting in his direction, so it's kind of going to be difficult, I think, because uh, it's now up to 12 or 13-point gap in the daily tracking polls. And I today's daily tracking polls probably won't reflect last night's debate. So we'll need to wait till tomorrow, probably, to know. And then there won't be any more before Sunday anyway. I think, yes, it will probably help that drift and he will probably end up winning by not 60-40, but somewhere just short of that, 59-58 maybe. I've been thinking it would be 55-56% for him. I think it might be slightly higher. But it's difficult because, you know, in the end, he's depending on the votes of people who don't like him. Whatever the result on, on, on Sunday, he will have won because of votes from left-wingers, not all of whom are big fans of Macron's. And so will they turn out on Sunday in big numbers? Will they now think this is all over anyway so we don't need to offend ourselves by voting for Macron? That's a slight danger for him there. But I think it might just as well depress the, the Pen voters it did last time. And so I think overall it will probably slightly increase his winning margin on Sunday. I don't think there's any doubt about the result. Thanks, John. And we'll hear more from you about Sunday's vote later in the episode. Now it's time to look ahead, first to Sunday and the crucial second round of the French presidential election. Emma, what happens on Sunday? 
Well, the format is basically the same as the first round, really, which is that uh, polling stations open at 8 o'clock on Sunday and then close at either 7pm or 8pm, depending whether you're in a a small town or a city. And then at 8pm, we get the preliminary results. And again, same as the first round, these are sample votes from specially selected polling stations. So this method is usually pretty accurate. So basically, by shortly after 8, we'll be 95% sure who's going to be the next president of France. Yes, and we'll get that huge image on TV screens and giant screens wherever the kind of presidential candidates are holding their events showing the winner basically and there'll be tears or cheers I remember being outside Sarkozy's event in 2012 and I think all the journalists kind of knew the result for about half an hour an hour and and we were looking outside all the supporters and Francois Hollande's face appeared on the giant screen and there really was lots and lots of tears at that result now in terms of people who are going to vote on Sunday we had to read a question about this can people only vote on Sunday if they voted in the first round? No, no, you can vote in both rounds, one round, the other round, whatever you like, really. And we do usually see a slightly different turnout level in round one and round two. So back if we go back to 2017, we had a 74% turnout for the second round, but it was slightly higher in the first round at uh, 77%. So it went down. So a sign then that presumably voters or many voters weren't happy with either Macron or Le Pen. Yeah, and we may well see that again this time that, you know, a lot of people are saying that they won't, won't vote for either of them. But there'll be some people who didn't vote in the first round and do decide to vote. People who are maybe quite shocked at the idea that Marine Le Pen could be the president, they might pile in and uh, and vote. Uh, and there's also one small group, which is that if you turned 18 between the first round and the second round, you can vote in the second round. Yes, and the figures for turnout are given at a couple of points during the day. It's often 12pm, 5pm. So we'll get an idea of the turnout compared to the first round and the turnout compared to previous second rounds of the French presidential election. One of the topics that's been uh, around my kids' school is parents desperately asking us, or asking my partner, who's French, to vote for them because it's the start of the school holidays. Many people are going away. It's actually the start of the school holidays in, in Paris, but other regions around the country are already on holiday or they're coming back from holiday, and people are desperately asking people to do a vote de procuration, which is why you'll probably see lots of queues outside police stations over the next uh, few days. People are worried about like somewhere like Paris. So many people go away on holiday. Could it actually affect turnout? Um, you know, we'll see about that. I think most people will opt for get hold of a, a vote de procuration. There is a, a maximum of two. So my partners have to turn quite a few of her friends down. But that will be key. The voter turnout will be key on Sunday and we will know the result at 8pm. The local France has over 10,000 members. Their contributions help us grow our coverage of France and allow us to produce this podcast. If you'd like to join at a discount price, visit www.thelocal.fr slash podcast offer. Now imagine the image on the screen at 8pm across France on Sunday night is that of Emmanuel Macron. Emma, what happens if Macron wins and stays in the Elysee? Well, obviously, he can carry on governing. There's no sort of transition period or anything like that, although he does have a second inauguration ceremony where he's sort of formally sworn in as the president. But otherwise, a lot of things will continue the same. Uh, one thing that we do know that will happen, though, is that the Prime Minister, Jean Castex, will resign and will formally dissolve the government. Now, this is a, a fairly standard thing that happens after French elections. The Prime Minister resigns, and that means that Macron can form a new government. It's basically just a cabinet reshuffle. But he'll be looking to shake up his government... Uh, some ministers pretty much will stay in the jobs they're already in, but he has the chance to move people around. And 
also to bring people in from the outside. And there's been quite a lot of speculation as to who he's going to appoint as his prime minister. A few names have been sort of thrown around. Uh, Christine Lagarde is the one that a lot of people are talking about, current head of the European Central Bank, but previously a finance minister here in France under Sarkozy. So there'll be quite a lot of sort of jostling for that. And that will happen sometime next week, according to the government spokesman, if he wins. Now, that might not be the government that stays in power for five years. He may have to reshuffle again after the parliamentary elections in June, depending on the results. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we could end up having three prime ministers in just over two months. Um, it's quite likely that we will see another reshuffle after the parliamentary elections, obviously, depending on what the results of those are as well. Now imagine Marine Le Pen appears on the screen at 8pm. She's the next president of France. What will happen if she wins? Well, obviously, then it's all change. Uh, first of all, uh, the Macrons will have to move out of the Elysee, which is the home of the French president as well as their office. So there'll be a yeah. shift over there. Uh, Marine Le Pen will move in. Uh, presumably, she'll bring her four cats along with her. She'll also be looking to form a government. Um, and that's the thing that might be quite tricky for her, that she doesn't really have that many people in her party who have a lot of relevant experience to appoint as ministers. Um, there are quite a lot of high-profile politicians who wouldn't agree to be a minister in her government. Any names been put forward? Well, she has ruled out a few people that she says she definitely won't appoint. Um, Eric Zemmour, her far-right rival, she's categorically ruled out working with him. And she's also ruled out working with her niece, Marion Marichal, who's been quite a, a close confidant of hers over the years, but who quite recently defected to Zemmour. So there's clearly no love lost there. Right. So all change, of course, if Le Pen takes power. Now, Obviously, what happens in June, that's the next big point in the kind of deciding who the next government in France will be. What actually happens in June? There's there's another two rounds of elections, basically. There's more elections, yeah. If you love elections, this is a really, really good time in France because we just finished the presidential one. We have about six weeks off and then we have more elections. These are the parliamentary elections. They're held again over two weeks uh, in June. And this is where you pick your local representative, your député, they're known as. They're roughly the same as MPs in the UK. They represent uh, local areas and this is also, and they sit in the Assemblée Nationale, which is the lower house of parliament in France. They're pretty crucial because if you're the president, you obviously want to pass new laws and those laws all have to go through the Assemblée Nationale. So if you don't have a majority in that house of parliament, you're going to struggle as a president. So these elections are crucial. Yes, and we'll talk more about those elections in June after the result of Sunday's second round vote. Now, it's quite normal that the pro-business, pro-EU Emmanuel Macron will have very different policies than the anti-EU, anti-immigration Marine Le Pen. Let's just run through, I'll give a quick recap of some of the controversial policies that are still being talked about over the last few days in France. Emma, where should we start? What about the ones that impact foreigners in France? Well, yeah, I mean, let's pick the ones that affect you and me directly, shall we? That uh, If you are foreign and living in France, uh, like me and Ben, even if you're a dual national, you're likely to have a tough time under a Le Pen presidency. Not going to sugarcoat this. She basically wants to bring in a, a French first policy that would apply to quite a wide range of jobs. Uh, so non-French people would be either barred or put uh, lower down the ladder for a certain type of uh, certain types of jobs. She wants to limit access to benefits for non-French people. And I mean, that's not just job seeker benefits. That would be things like um, family allowances, top up benefits that, you know, quite a few foreigners in France do qualify for and also limit access to health care. Her manifesto says that non-French people will need to prove that they have private health 
health insurance so they won't be a burden on the state. Obviously, this is already the case if you move to France under certain types of visa, like if you're retiring to France. But what's really not very clear in her manifesto at all is how long you'll have to pay for this private policy and when you'll be able to register within the French state system, if at all. Okay, now she's presumably not going to try and get this through Parliament, given that most people think, analysts say she won't get a majority. How will she get this huge kind of change, France priority for French people through? Well, it's a very good question because it kind of breaches a lot of EU laws because she's not saying that it would be just for non-Europeans, it would be for everybody who isn't French. And it also covers even dual nationals. So people who've been here for like 20 years and taken French citizenship would still be discriminated against under this. So it goes against various EU laws. It also pretty much goes against the French constitution um, to discriminate against a specific group like this. And she knows this. And what she said she will do is she will put it directly as a referendum to the French people, which is a way of bypassing the the Constitutional Council in France, which is pretty likely to say that this is unconstitutional. Yeah, we've got an article about this on our website, uh, thelocal.fr, and there was lots of reaction to it on Twitter uh, in the recent days. People saying, wow, this is scary stuff. You know, it's kind of sinking in what a Le Pen presidency could mean for all foreigners in France. Now, what about Macron? Well, he's definitely less hostile to foreigners in France, but that doesn't actually mean there's nothing to worry about in his manifesto. He wants to make long-term residency cards conditional on passing a French exam, although there's no detail as to what level of French is required, as we've kind of talked about before. He also wants to make long-term residency cards contingent on having a job, although, again, his manifesto is very vague as to whether that just means that people seeking work or whether it would also cover people like retired people who obviously don't work either. So there's a few potential things to worry about with Macron as well. Now, another issue that has been in the headlines pretty much constantly over the last 10 days that Le Pen has really come under scrutiny for is her plan to ban Muslim headscarves in public areas. Emma, what's the latest on that? Is she still planning to go ahead with this? Well, she seems to be backtracking on this a bit. We've sort of seen since the first round that her policies have been put under a lot more scrutiny. And as she's being really grilled on these, she's started to flounder a little bit. And some of these she's backtracking and she's now kind of saying, oh, well, the the Muslim headscarf, it is a it is a proposal in her manifesto, but she's now saying, oh, well, it's just a debate to be had and it's not a priority. But again, I mean, this kind of thing would almost certainly fall foul of the Constitutional Council. So again, if she wants to get that through, she'd probably have to do it as a referendum in order to sort of bypass this type of scrutiny of sort of discriminating directly against one group. Because it's not, it's only Muslim headscarves. There's no other religious symbols under her proposal. Exactly. I mean, it is already the case that the Muslim headscarf is banned in certain areas like public buildings. Buildings, but this comes under the French laïcité rules and that covers all religious symbols, although it's definitely fair to say that it disproportionately affects Muslim women. But the actual law is about all religious symbols, whereas her law sort of does away with any kind of pretense about this and just says, yeah, I'm just targeting Muslim women. Now, briefly, Macron on French Muslims, is he at the other end of the scale? Uh, I wouldn't say he's at the other end of the scale, no. I mean, he's certainly less extreme than uh, than Le Pen. But there are plenty of French Muslims who are not happy with his record in government and are not particularly looking forward to another five years with Macron at the helm. We heard in a previous episode from the French legal academic, Rem Sarah Alouan, and she told us that many Muslims in France are really deeply worried about the entire discourse around Islam. Most of the sort of examples she gave us were things that Macron's ministers had said rather than Macron himself, but obviously he's the boss, so ultimately he's... Uh, 
he's responsible for this. And it's issues like uh, the anti-separatism bill, the, the weaponization of the discourse around laicity and certain sort of comments that have been made by his ministers that seem quite hostile. The number one issue for voters in the run-up to this election has been cost of living, uh, economy and pensions have been top of the agenda. Now, Macron has kind of had the standout policy on pensions. He wants to raise the retirement age to 65. Now, he's been kind of floundering on this as well, hasn't he, since he announced it? Yeah, he seemed surprised as to how incredibly unpopular it was. And I honestly don't know why, because he had, like, uh, the largest transport strikes in France when 1968 were about his last pension reform. So I honestly don't know why he thought that people would love this. But again, as you say, he's been kind of backtracking a little bit on maybe saying that it would be it would be staggered, it would be something he could put to the vote. But he is kind of sticking to his guns that eventually France is going to have to raise its pension age, that the current system is just not sustainable. And Marine Le Pen's economic policies have also come under great scrutiny. People have been saying it's a, it's going to be a disaster for France. Macron has really been targeting them. What are they? Let's remind listeners. Well, they are in large part really, I think, why she's done as well as she's done, that she was very canny early on and that she saw how big of a problem cost of living was for so many people. And she's really made that the focus of her campaign, far more so than immigration or Muslims, which were previously her sort of main areas. She wants to cut taxes for all, all under 30s. Yeah, I mean, the the actual policies that she's put forward sound great for a lot of people. Um, cutting taxes for under 30s, more financial support for a whole bunch of groups, scrapping inheritance tax, cutting VAT on petrol, gas, electricity. Where she runs into difficulty is when people ask how she's going to pay for all this, and she's a bit more vague on that. I mean, that would mean the young, you know, multi-millionaire footballer Kylian Mbappe wouldn't pay any tax. Is that right? That is, it does sound like that's what she's saying, yes. What about uh, Le Pen's plan to ease the cost of living crisis? Um, yeah, I mean, she's basically, she's looking at cutting VAT on a lot of things, on petrol and on gas and on electricity. And she says that that, along with the tax cuts, because there's quite a lot of tax cuts, I've not gone into all of them, but there's a lot. And she says that that is what will limb or will ease the cost of living. But I think also she... Again, she's just been quite clever in the way she's been campaigning, that she seems very sympathetic. She's been going to small towns and spending a lot of time listening to people's worries and this kind of thing. Whereas Macron, as he does, has, you know, put forward loads of brilliant economic arguments. But he just doesn't seem like a very sympathetic figure to people. And even though, as you said, actually, his government has done a lot um, in order to help this, he's still tarred with this brush of being the president of the rich who doesn't understand about people struggling to pay their bills. Yes, there you have it. There are some of the main policy differences between Macron and Marine Le Pen. There are, of course, many more, but they are the ones that have been talked about in France over the last 10 days or so. Now it's time to return to Normandy and put our political columnist John Litchfield on the spot. John, we talked a couple of weeks ago after the first round about the possibility of an accident happening. In, in other words, Le Pen winning, you know, the polls at the time suggested the second round was going to be much tighter than in 2017. The polls at the moment, like you've said, you know, shows a healthy Macron lead, if not quite as big as, as five years ago. You're of the view now that there won't be a shock on Sunday. We're not going to see Marine Le Pen as, as France's next president. Yes, I think I think so. I never actually thought she could win, but I, you know, I had a wobble like other people did when the polls got as close as they did. 
it was partly a momentum thing. You know, she built up momentum in the first round score, partly because she was taking votes away from Zamor. And, you know, I think it was always likely that the second round would actually start to examine her programme for the first time and examine who she is for the first time. And is she really capable of being president? None of those things were actually pressing that much in the first round. Yes. Um, which is why I think Macron took that decision last night to, to go for that and, and make it a make it a sort of prosecution of her rather than just a prosecution of him. So, yeah, I think it was inevitable. I think he would win. I think that the, the gap is wider than it seemed possible uh, a week or so ago. It may It's possible that will turn out to, for the reasons I say, because the, the left-wing vote won't be as wide as that. But I suspect you, you're looking, we're looking at a, a double-figure victory for him, 55-45 at, at least. John, you, you mentioned Marine Le Pen has come under greater scrutiny in the last two weeks. That was inevitable. She kind of ghosted through the campaign up to the first round. Is she simply unelectable, given some of her more extreme policies? Uh, yes, possibly. I, 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 my fear is that she may be unelectable, but someone with similar or worse policies in some ways, not Zemmour, but possibly Marion Maréchal, who's joined up with Zemmour and um, is her niece, is possibly electable because she's a more plausible sort of person, a younger person that attracts sort of more moderate right-wingers or allegedly more moderate right-wingers. Yeah, I, I think Le Pen has got herself in, in a sort of situation where, yes, she appeals to part of the right because of her nationalist views, but she puts off part of the right because of her socialistic economic policies. So she perhaps has gone as far as she can. Um, people said that last time. She has said that if she loses this time, she will not um, remain in politics. She'll go away and breed cats. Who knows if that's true or not? You know, essentially, she runs a family business, you know, um, it's a lot of money involved in, in being uh, really running the Sambam on Arsenal for her uh, one way or another. And so she'll have to take a decision on whether to abandon that family business, which has always been run by a Le Pen. Can it continue without a Le Pen at the head? There's no other Le Pen, obviously, to succeed her now that Marion Maréchal has moved over to the dark side, as she would say. So it's going to be interesting. It's going to be part of a complete rebuilding of, of French political structures, which has been going on for several years already, and it will continue over the next five years. And I think, as I've said, I think before on these podcasts, or certainly in columns, that the next election will be a, a scarier one than this one. Even John, finally, you know, we've got this this repeat of 2017 with these two distinct blocks of centrist against you know far right for Le Pen. We also have the, the Mélenchon bloc on on the far left. People are talking about France being more divided than ever. You know, is that how you see it? And how does France? How can France reconcile these divisions? over the next five, ten years. Is it possible? Yeah, I think it is more divided in, in, in a way. I mean, it's always been very divided. I mean, it was France was the country that invented the whole idea of left and right, as you know, back in the revolution, after the revolution, according to where the deputies sat in the National Assembly. Um, and so that's been sort of also very, very central to, to the way French seeing things. And it used to be that, that you know, there were, it was enormously scattered political landscape with people on the, on the further left, the middle left, the soft left, and the same on the right. But it still meant that in a presidential election like this one, in the end, the right sort of felt some kind of allegiance to the right-wing president if he was elected, and the left felt some kind of allegiance to a left-wing president if he was elected. You now have a system where the country is split into almost exactly three equal tribes or, or parts. The voting um, in the first round was 32% more or less for the left, 32% more or less for Macron and, and what remains of the, the pro-European moderate centre-right, and 32% for the far-right. 
And so you have this system where if that remains, and that may be a permanent change or a long time change, that no one can hope to actually get a majority from their own camp, as it were. They always have to have one other camp come and support them, as Macron is with the left on Sunday. And so there'll always be a sense that the president is elected by default or by people that didn't really want him as president. Uh, it was slightly the case always before, but more so now. And I think that is a dangerous situation um, going forward. Thanks, John. And we'll hear more from you following Sunday's vote. Don't forget, if you'd like to be able to read John's weekly analysis on France and all our articles, you can join now at a discount price by visiting www.thelocal.fr slash podcast offer. Now, as regular listeners to this podcast will know, we never want to miss an opportunity to help you learn some French vocab, some French phrases that we've heard a lot in the news recently. Emma, fire away. Yeah, I've got this week, I've got Les Nini, which... Hold on, Les Nini, that sounds like something my daughter would say. <laughs> yeah, it does sound like a kid's game, doesn't it? Um, it's not. It's the significant part of the electorate that we've talked about before who say, ni Macron ni Le Pen, neither Macron nor Le Pen. And they're sort of informally known as uh, Les Nini, which kind of means the, the neither nors. This sort of phrase, ni Macron ni Le Pen, is kind of being used a lot. I've brought a couple of um, banners along that I've seen on, uh, on demonstrations, which I think kind of sum up the mood in the electorate. We've got, ni Macron ni Le Pen, mais surtout pas Le Pen. Neither Macron nor Le Pen, but definitely not Le Pen. And another one that I saw was uh, Macron est nul, mais Le Pen est pire. Macron is terrible, but Le Pen is worse. It's the, uh, you know, enthusiastic French voters there. OK, I pulled out one. Troisième tour. This is one that Jean-Luc Mélenchon has been talking about this week. There isn't, of course, a troisième tour. There is a premier tour and a deuxième tour of the French presidential election. He's obviously referring to the parliamentary elections, which he calls the troisième tour. He wants voters to see it like that, that, you know, this deuxième tour on Sunday is not the end of the voting. He wants people to turn out en masse for the troisième tour in June. And as we've said earlier, elect him or, you know, make it impossible for Macron not or Le Pen not to appoint him as prime minister. Any more, Emma? Uh, yes. Well, I've brought along one that's been a big feature of this election, but clearly we're going to carry on hearing it for a long time to come. Uh, and it's pouvoir de chat. It literally means purchasing power, but I think in English we tend to say cost of living more and it's the ongoing cost of living crisis for um, whether people can pay their bills or not. Yes, we hear that one very often in France. Now, finally, I've gone for cohabitation, which I really like because it does suggest living together, but it's also what happens when the president from one party is forced to share power with the government and prime minister from, from another or from a different political persuasion. In France, this happened before under President Jacques Chirac with the Socialist Party Prime Minister Lionel Jospin. There's increasing talk of Emmanuel Macron having to do it if he wins, perhaps with Jean-Luc Mélenchon. Now, the idea is fantastic that Jean-Luc Mélenchon would live together with Emmanuel Macron, but that's not what it means. No, colocation in uh, in French is what it means to have a housemate. But yes, I agree, it would be brilliant if Mélenchon was forced to move into the Elysée and if they screened this as some kind of reality TV show because I strongly suspect that Mélenchon would be a terrible housemate. He'd just leave his socks everywhere, wouldn't he? Oh, yeah, and he, you know, he wouldn't tidy up, he wouldn't do the washing up. And I think Macron is probably quite uh, precise about his living space. Indeed, I agree. Thanks, Emma. And that brings us to the end of this penultimate episode of Talking France. Thanks to you all for listening. We'll be back on Monday with our final French election podcast when we'll discuss the winner, the loser, and, of course, what it all means for you and for France. Finally, just a request. We'd love to hear your feedback on this podcast, positive or negative, although please be gentle. If you have any thoughts or suggestions, please email them to news at thelocal.fr. They'd be
be much appreciated. Until next time. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.